I want to begin this message this morning with a little quick game of did you know. Okay, y'all ready? So put on your thinking caps. Some of y'all thought, I'm going to snooze at this portion of the program. But stay with me here. Did you know that in... uh, that way back in the day in 1963, that a guy that would become a Hall of Famer and Cy Young Award winner, twice Cy Young Award winner, a guy, a pitcher by the name of, of Gaylord Perry in Major League Baseball, he uttered these remarks in 1963. He said, oh, we're going to put a man on the moon before I hit my first home run. And on July 20th, 1969, one hour after Neil Armstrong's foot stepped on the moon, Gaylord Perry uh, hit his one and only career home run. Uh, Did you know that the average lifespan on a major league baseball is seven pitches? There's a company named Rawlings that makes a lot of money. They're rich because of that reality there. Uh, Did you know in uh, 1920, Babe Ruth hit more home runs than the entire American League? Uh, did you know that in gambling dens in the country of England, there's one person whose sole job is to swallow the dice during a police raid? Did you know that the moon is moving a little bit further away from the earth? Sort of some social distancing, if you will. Uh, don't worry, though. It's only moved 35 feet over an estimated over the past 35 years. Did you know that the average, or that, uh, let's see, did you know that a uh, a mattress that's 10 years old has doubled in weight. Why, RG, humans are gross. Dust mites, microscopic particles, uh, dandruff, pet hair, especially golden retrievers, uh, dust bites, uh, on and on and on, uh, d- doubled uh, in its weight just in 10 years did you know did you know that astronauts uh, when they're in space they can't cry gravity doesn't allow tears did you know that lipstick mini lipstick is made up of fish scales that's honestly the primary reason I don't wear it (laughs) did you know that it's physically impossible to kiss your elbow kids try this adult children try this it's physically impossible you can kiss other people's elbows I've done a couple today already but you can't kiss your own elbow it's physically it's physically impossible. Do you know the average sneeze uh, travels at 100 miles per hour? People who've tried to stop a sneeze have actually died from it. Did you know that uh, over 100 people per year die from the, the pin caps? They've actually reduced the number of deaths by putting tiny holes in the top of pin caps to, for, uh, to allow a breathing public service announcement. A little bit. Did, did, you know, did you know that 90% of Americans can quote 50% of the Lord's Prayer? I just made that up, that last one. But let me ask you, did you know any of those things? Anybody, did you know any of those facts, any of those that I dropped on you? Did you know? But you know, what I do know is that many of us do know the Lord's Prayer. When I was in ninth grade, I played on the football team. I stopped playing football in ninth grade for a lot of reasons. But I had a coach, and he would cuss like a merchant marine. He would throw a Gatorade buckets around the locker room, and man, just screaming at people. He was really an unhappy person. But every, before every game, he would lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, before he got into the twos, now the disciples came to him. I love the context of this. Uh, Luke and Matthew both give us this. They, they said the disciples told him, they went to him and they said, teach us, teach us, teach me how to, to Dougie. T- I mean, teach us how to pray. 
And Jesus said, here's how you pray. But when he taught us how to pray, like a lot of good teachers, he was ultimately the master teacher. He said, hey, here's how not to pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen by other people on the street corners in the synagogues. And don't be like the pagans who toss up empty phrases. Uh, They think that for their much speaking and their flowery poetic language, for their many words, they will be heard, but they will not. And Jesus said, when you pray, here's this invitation that challenges all of us Uh, throughout our lives this invitation to when you pray go into your room and shut the door and your father your unseen father will see you in secret and he will reward you so we're given this prayer we're given this prayer in week one we looked at the first four words week two last week we looked at the second four words the first words first four in week one were our father in heaven and we just kind of got caught up in the idea that God is our father that he's as cosmic as a king but he's as close as a dad a good dad incidentally that he's infinite but he's intimate that he's powerful but he's accessible And then we looked at hallowed be thy name. Jesus says, hey, before you come to God and start telling him everything that you need, before you get just consumed with your own problems and worries about what you'll do next, start with who God is. Hallowed be thy name. And Jesus, remember the great prophet Isaiah said, hey, a child is born, a son is given. Notice the language there. The son wasn't born, a child is born, a son is given. The son always existed. But the child was born. His name, his name, hallowed be thy name. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Triune God, God sending his son into the world. And one day, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at this name, at the name of Christ. Hallowed be thy name. The psalmist, we mentioned this last week, put it on the screen, Psalm 8, walking out into the night sky and seeing the handiwork, the firmament of God, how he created it uh, with his finger the spoken word in his finger and he spoken into being and the psalmist David says what is man that thou art mindful of him hallowed be his name you're you're famous God listen to me I don't know who needs to hear this day don't worry about being famous don't worry about being famous be faithful let God be famous maybe I'm preaching for me yeah I'm probably preaching for me but don't worry about being famous be faithful you be faithful live life be faithful to God and Do your work, your ministry, your life in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Hallowed be thy name. Today we come to the next part as we go line by line, verse by verse of this prayer. The part of our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here we go. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're walking through Matthew 6, uh, line by line, verse by verse. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you will, uh, grab a Bible. If you brought one, turn to James chapter four. We're gonna close the service by reading uh, what, I, what I believe reflects uh, this prayer today or portion of it about the kingdom and God's will on earth. Thy kingdom come. Now, it's so easy for this to come across uh, as a catchy poem that rolls off the tongue. Anybody do that? Uh, the Lord's Prayer, in many ways, is like the alphabet. You know, there's some brains that are wired in such a way. I don't know if you're like this, but you can't just roll through the alphabet. You can't pick up at a letter in the alphabet. You've got to go back to A to get to Z if somebody messes you up. And sometimes we're like that with the Lord's Prayer. It's just so, it's like a catchy poem. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and busted his crown and 
Jill came running after. Women, that's your problem. You come running after. Just leave Jack alone at the bottom of the hill. He's the one who cracked his head, cracked his crown, busted his crown. Jack and Jill, went up. thine is the kingdom, the power. It's just this catchy poem, but listen to me. It's not. It's not the intention of this poem. It's, 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 an inviting, it's inviting an invasion. It's requesting a revolution. It's a bold and dangerous prayer. In my study, in my pastor's study, there are, there's a, a library. There are books on prayer in um, alphabetical order. And there is a, one book that I've been reading during this series, 50 Dangerous Prayers. And it's prayers that people have prayed like the Lord's Prayer, like this part of the Lord's Prayer that are bold and daring and dangerous and provocative and subversive. It's an invitation for God to show up and to work. And I'm so grateful that these women and these men prayed these prayers. Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. and people who, who Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Corey Ten Boone, people that prayed dangerous prayers. How safe are your prayers? how robust are they how much do they involve the needs of the world around us i've mentioned this before and on an instagram video last night but there's a phrase in our society thoughts and prayers and it makes people more and more as it seems the world's going to hell in a handbasket it just it just makes it uneasy for people to hear that phrase thoughts and prayers Does it ever sound trite when there's another shooting, when there's another hardship, when there's a calamity? Thoughts and prayers. If you get a quick text, if you're hurting and the person knows you're hurting and they just throw you one of those thoughts and prayers. Pious, cliche, trite, unmoving, unmoved. But this is the part of the prayer, guys, where God can orient us. Where we're not just saying, God, we're gonna wait on you, but we want to work with you in this world today. The early believers were known in Acts chapter 9 and Acts uh, chapter 22. They were first called Christians in Antioch. You'll see that in Acts 11, but in Acts 9 and Acts 22, they're called, anybody know this, they're called people of the way. They weren't, uh, I'm using a little bit of a, my, my imagination here because they were referred to as believers, but what if they were not primarily known as believers in the creed, but they were known as followers of the way? God, your will, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want your will to be done in this. I want to orient my life, not in a legalistic way, not in a superficial way, not in a mechanical way, but I want to orient my life around your kingdom and your way. I want to be a follower of the way. I don't just want to be a believer in the creed, but I want to be a follower of the way. A few kingdom verses, if you will, a lot of Bible today. We're going to roll through this. Uh, I highlighted the key word kingdom in all of these passages. We're going to hit one in Mark, a couple in Luke, a couple in Acts, one in Romans, and then in John. Mark 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, here we go, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Acts, or Luke 12, 32, one of my faves, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Acts 1, 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. It's why on Easter and other Sundays, we stand here and say that it's not allegorical, it's not metaphorical, it's not fictional, it's historical and reliable. 
he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Also in Acts, deeper into it, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's a funny phrase at the end because they had all kind of hindrances, but at that point there was a stretch where he didn't have a hindrance. Romans 14, 7, love this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Some kingdom living. To be people of the way is to follow the kingdom. Now, before this verse, if you wouldn't mind taking it down just real quick, I want to make a point because when we talk about extending the kingdom, as Luke chapter 9, as it tells us Jesus invited us to do, to proclaim it, to extend it to the world, it's, it's funny that we, um, over time, we have different ideas about how to extend the kingdom. If we had a meeting and said, hey, we're going to extend the kingdom in Fondren and beyond, it would be invigorating. There would be lots of opinions and ideas, a few convictions. It'd be really good, but there'd be a whole, different, a whole lot of ways that we would say, let's do this. Let's extend the kingdom by doing this. Liberal Christians throughout history in our day say, here's how you extend, you usher in the kingdom through moral reform and social justice. Conservative Christians say that you extend the kingdom, you usher in the kingdom through political action and cultural influence. Now, moral reform and social justice, political action and cultural influence are all good and healthy and part of it, but none of them, no government program, nothing of man can offer forgiveness of sin. Nothing from it, only a holy and loving God can produce pardon in a human heart. When we cry out, what can wash away my sin? And we're plagued by not just the penalty of sin, which we don't think about often enough, but the power, the dominion, the rule of it in our lives. Only one can do that, and that is our God. That's the one who created us, the redeemer and sustainer. And so this kingdom that we're invited into, John 18, 36, here we go. Um, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Yea, moral reform. Yea, social justice. Yea, political activism. Yea, cultural influence. But there is a kingdom that is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, very political culture that Jesus was born into and lived in. But now my kingdom is from another place. Uh, Jesus said it twice for the folks in the back. My kingdom, it's not of this world. And so this kingdom, do you know it? Do you want it to come? Do you want the world to experience it? Are you like me? Do you sometimes just get put out with the world that we live in? We, we've sung it here before. There's a declaration in Colossians. It says that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, this isn't about being a holy roller. This isn't about being smug and self-righteousness. This is not about us versus them. Because if you, if you follow Jesus, Jesus is always saying, let's go to the other side. He told stories where they were the hero, not us. Where it was the Samaritans. It was other people. So don't make this us. Don't make this a point of pride for, for you, for me. But to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is a call on every life. And it's what Jesus desires. It is the kingdom for us to walk in the light. My man John in 1 John 1 would say, hey, listen, if you say that you're in light, but you walk in the darkness, God's love is not in you. If you hate your brother and claim to love God, you don't know the love of God. Confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Nary a Sunday goes by where I don't challenge us to walk in light, to move away from what's shrouded in secrecy and move into 
the light. The world understands it's a therapeutic model, but the world understands. Go to counseling, have a therapist, tell them your secrets, unpack your suitcase, move away from darkness. But in Colossians, what does it mean? Listen to when God declares that in Christ, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Let's just stop for a second and sit in this. There is a kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness. There's, there's suffering and death. There's shortage and scarcity. There's violence and there is betrayal. God's creation is being polluted. Vows of fidelity are being broken. Racial injustice is simmering. Anger is exploding. There is fear and there is confusion. There is desperation and isolation. And don't you ever just wonder, look, I'm going to be honest, don't you just ever wonder, man, who's in charge down here? Does he ever just cry out? The Bible would call it lament. We preach it here quite a bit. Do you ever just lament the world in which we live? Listen, if all that was taking place in some sort of a retail establishment or store or restaurant, how would you act? You would say, who is in charge here? You ever been in a place like that? It's in disarray. Things are not what you want. The experience doesn't equal your expectation. And you're left going, hey, who's in charge here? The famous saying, have you ever done this in retail is, where's the manager? I, I, I want to see, get me your manager. I want to see your manager. Don't you hate it when you ask for the manager and they are the manager? And you're like, you know what? I need to see the regional manager. I need to see the district supervisor of the, I need to see the global president of the regional supervisor of the district guy who oversees you, the store manager. We want to know, right? There's some hierarchy and we want to know that something's, we want to go to the top because something's not right. And I want to be honest, look, this isn't me losing my faith or deconstructing anything or not having a lofty view of God. Maybe just the opposite. But I live in this world and I'm like, man, who's in charge? You know what? I need to see the manager. And can I say to you that could end in sacrilege and blasphemy and cynicism and despair? Yes. But oftentimes, it, I'm just going to tell you about my life now. It's kind of a cool testimony. It leads me to prayer. God, who's in charge? And the next thing you know, in an indirect way, in my own little language, God, I want to see the manager. I want to see the globe. I want to see the cosmic king. And before you know it, with angst, but with faith and with a holy discontent, as one writer calls it, I'm asking God for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so the question, look, this is one that, that keeps so many people from faith or from a vibrant faith. Here's the question. I want to help you today. There's a lot of ways to answer this. But why is earth kingdom still a mess? If Jesus made the statement that the king, the kingdom of God is here, it is at hand, then why is earth king, earth's kingdom still a mess? There are, here's the answer, that other kingdoms are still present. A kingdom is defined by a sphere of influence. You have a kingdom. You probably have many kingdoms. The kingdom is that place where you get what you want, oftentimes when you want it, exactly like you want it. It's your kingdom. Burger King made commercials. Have it your way. Come to our place and eat our flame-boiled Whopper, and we'll cook it up just like you want it. Have it your way. It's your kingdom. This is our restaurant. We're going to make money off of you and put some calories in you, expand your waistline. But, hey, man, you have it your way, your kingdom. 
I've been in love with this beautiful brunette for 26 years, married almost, well, married 24. And uh, one of the things that Susan loves to say, she's done it for years, is she'll say to me, you're not the boss of me. Yeah, amen, okay. All right, let's keep moving. And you know what, though? Sometimes uh, I say to her, you're not the boss of me. It's, amen. amen, thank you. And uh, it's really cuter when I say it. But hey, you know what? Listen to me. She's got a kingdom, and I've got a kingdom, and she's, she loves me, but she's guarding and protecting a sphere of influence. She said, don't, don't trample on this, right? You hear me? There's, there's, a, there's boundaries here. That's why y'all said amen. And she's got them, and I got them, and you got them. Um, what's a two-year-old's favorite word? No. Yes, it's no. What's a two-year-old's um, second favorite word? Mine. There you go. I've got a friend. Um, he's moving from the marketplace into the ministry. So he's been wanting to hang out and talk, and we've just become really, really good friends. And culturally, there's some differences and all. It's just fun to, to get to, to know each other, to, to love each other. And he's been uh, uh, talking with me and telling me. He's made a confession. It's really a prayer request. But he's been telling me about his three-year-old son, Cam. His boy Cam, and he was telling me about Cam, and Cam's the firstborn, it's the only child, they're about to have another one, but he's like, man, Cam is my boy, and when Cam was born, and Cam was one, and Cam was two, all the way three, Cam got what Cam wanted, and he was just telling me that, he said, my boy's got this favorite phrase now, that he'll walk up to the, he'll walk around the house, what shall I have? What shall I have? He'll open, he'll go to the refrigerator, open the door, you know, letting the cold air out. He's not in a hurry. What shall I have? He'll go to the pantry and open the pantry where there's candy and cookies and cakes and stuff. What shall I have? And my friend told me this dad of this little boy, Cam, is at the grocery store. He's, he's pu- pu- you know, pulling stuff open going, what shall I have? But my friend that's going into the ministry full time shared this with me as a prayer request. He said, Robert, I've, I've got 15 more years. I've got 15 more years to move my son from this favorite phrase, what shall I have, what shall I have? Picture a little guy, what shall I have? I've got 15 years to move him from this, because if this familiar phrase becomes a core question, then I have failed. If he thinks that he can walk around and his core question is, what shall I have? Instead of, who do I need? And the invitation of prayer, the invitation of prayer is this. Have you ever heard this? I need thee every hour. Every hour, I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And you see, there's a kingdom, and you learn from an early age. Cam has really learned that he's got a kingdom, and you have a kingdom. You're not the boss of me. And here's what happens with our kingdoms. Kingdoms merge and intersect and form with other kingdoms. And we call them families. We call them corporations. We call them nations. They're cultural and economic and political kingdoms, and we're all a part of it. Thy thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What shall I have? What shall I have? And this prayer is bold and dangerous because it's inviting every follower of the Jesus, not every believer of the creed, but every follower of Jesus, we are invited to walk in the way to orient our lives around a new kingdom. So don't judge me and get on to me when I stand up here and say, your time is not your time. 
And your money is not your money. And you're not the ruler of your life. In fact, it is my job. In fact, sometimes you should leave here mad at me. That's probably our problem. You don't leave here mad at me enough. I need to stand up here and lovingly but boldly say, hey, don't just, it's not just your decision when and where and how you vacation and how you spend your money and how you spend your time because we're called into generosity. We're called to be generous. Listen, it ain't just about money. It is about money because if you don't give him your pocketbook, you haven't given him your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Jesus said that and it's true. Every sociological, psychological study bears that out. But to be generous with your compliments. You know, some of us, man, we don't, we don't compliment very well because we think there's a scarcity. Oh, there are people that need to be spoken into, that need to be affirmed, that need to have life spoken in them. And following Jesus into this kingdom, that being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is for us to be generous and to give God our all and to be generous with our words, to be generous with our money, to be generous with our schedules and open it up and say, hey, it's not what shall I have, it's who do I need? And I need thee and I wanna follow thee. This isn't just a flare. Prayer is not a flare you throw up in time of need. It's we come to them in every hour we're going to read as we close in a minute from james 4 about uh, how often we need our savior and when we come to him it's every hour yielding ourselves to his will to his way this is the kingdom that god has for us so turn to james if you will james chapter 4 and when it comes to this uh, question of why is earth's kingdom uh, why is it so busted up? And here's the, the, here's the idea. Let me ask you this. Before James 4, Gina, can we put up Luke 17? And in Luke 17, Jesus makes this uh, statement here. He says, once on being asked by the fairies when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst now i love that but jesus i'm a little confused are you because they wanted what we want man if it's a kingdom let it roll like i mean like let's like dominate like alabama football let's just let everybody know we're gonna win every game you've stayed and old miss fans y'all just gonna struggle for four and seven or whatever i mean but we like let's roll this is a kingdom man and there's a there's a leader and we're gonna beat everybody up that's the kind of kingdom they wanted. And they, they were fatigued over Roman rule. You've been fatigued by anything? You've been fatigued by politics, by a pandemic, by all the division, anybody? Man, they were fatigued over Roman rule and that's what they wanted. Jesus is saying a couple of uh, mysterious things that the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Yes, it is near, but it's not fully here. In fact, he would say that there's coming a day. Right after this verse, we don't have it on the screen, but if you read Luke 17, 22, it says, there's a day is coming, a day is coming. So it's in your midst, but a day is coming. It's in your midst, the kingdom of God is here, but a day is coming. And can I tell you, for every weary and frustrated soul, can I tell you, if you've been bumped by people, maybe you live in a house where someone's walking around going, what shall I have, what shall I have? And maybe your heart today is living that way. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is right here in your midst. But though it's here, it's not fully present because a day is coming. 
And that's what scholars have called the, the, where the land that we live between now and not yet. Between now and not yet. And so the kingdom is there. We need to orient our lives for the kingdom. In fact, Jesus with this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gives us a command. Here it is. He gives us a command and then he gives us a plan. Like that's good leadership. Yeah, I don't want to just be inspired. What, tell me, be plain. Let your language be plain. And then tell me the plan. And here it is. The command is seek the kingdom. If you need a verse, note taker, it's Matthew 6, 33. And the plan is to extend the kingdom. If you need a verse, note taker, it's Luke chapter 9. But the command to seek the kingdom, it's here. It's present, not, not fully present, but it's here. Seek it. Matthew 6, 33, you know this, right? Seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And not a day goes by where you and I aren't tempted to get wrapped up in all these things. Anybody at church day, anybody roll out of bed to watch church this morning, and you're worried about all these things. And Jesus knows that. In fact, it's why he told us to move away from the crowd. He did it. I love leaders who practice what they preach to y'all. Like, what a terrible burden for me to stand here and tell you how to live and then go and live in opposition to what I preach. And Jesus said, hey, we need to go and we need to pray. And Mark one thirty five, Jesus did it. He pushed away from the crowd. And he sought the Father, the unseen Father. He prayed in secret, knowing that the Father would reward him. So we, here's the command, we seek the kin, kingdom and then we extend the kingdom. When I say that this isn't the waiting part, look, here's the thing about waiting. I preach it. Y'all know this. If you've been around my teaching, you know this, man. Some of you, I want to say to you today, in love, you need to wait on God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, gives us a promise. All those verses like Psalm 40 that says, wait patiently for the Lord. Can I tell you, that's a command and that is hard, isn't it? Like, I just want to run out and hug a few of you because you're waiting. Like, you don't have your miracle yet. You don't have your breakthrough. You don't see your deliverance. You don't feel it, and you're wondering if you'll ever get it. But still, God is saying, be patient. Wait patiently for the Lord. And here's a promise Isaiah gives us. He builds on that command that's all up in the Scripture. And he says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar up like wings of eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. And Jesus said to the disciples, before I do a work, I want you, Acts 1-4, I want you to wait. Don't leave. Stay here in Jerusalem and stay here in this room and stay in that upper room and wait for the gift from the Father. Y'all know what the gift from the Father was? The Spirit. The Spirit to live in them and to empower them. So wait. And we need to wait. But thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is not a waiting verse. Uh, the challenge today is for us to pray this prayer, not as a catchy poem, not as mindless repetition, not as some magic spell to get God to do what we want him to do, but it's for us to orient our heart around his kingdom. We need more kingdom livers today. We need kingdom men and kingdom women. We need kingdom husbands and wives to love each other. We need kingdom leaders in our church because it's way bigger than us building this place numerically. 
We said back in the fall, our goal is not to keep you. We, we'd love to, but our goal is to form you. Our goal is to help you be involved in a process of discipleship where you would orient your life around kingdom values. Again, not in a legalistic way, a superficial way, or mechanical way, but in a way that's heartfelt, a way that's passionate, a way that's sincere. So there's this prayer, and there's this command to seek the kingdom. There's this plan to extend the kingdom. At Fondren, in this season, this next season, we're calling it Serve 52. That's the number of weeks in the year, and we're inviting you to be a part of extending God's kingdom through serving. How cool it would be, a part of this new vision that's been unfurled, for us to have somebody, some people serving in our city every week of the year and bringing God's kingdom. Being a part of our prayers. Anybody want to be a part of the prayers that you pray? And so as we begin to close, I want us to read James chapter 4. And I've got my Bible, and I want to read it out loud with you. And I got my glasses because I'm in my 50s. James 4, let's get roll one through it. And our team is going to come up as we read this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, your passions? Or at war within you. What shall I have? What shall I have? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Look, there is a domain of darkness. Get away from it. Run from it. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Then John three sixteen says, God loves the world, like everybody. So there's, the world is in people, and we're called to love everyone as we extend the kingdom. But there's the world as a system. And the world as a system will bring you down. The world as a system is a domain of darkness. I hope you see what James is saying. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God loves us this way, guys. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God will give you the hand. You don't want God's hand that way. Like you want his hand of favor. You want his hand of blessing. You don't want the hand that resists you. And that's what pride will do. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Not not my will, but submit yourself to God. There is something in the, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know this. There is something in the universe that unlocks when you surrender your will. Surrender is not a display of weakness. Walk into a family, walk into church, walk in somewhere and just say coercion and pressure and ultimatum. I'm going to force my will. That doesn't work well. But the surrendered life, the submitting, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You didn't come to church for that. I sure don't want to end a sermon like that. But here's what he's saying. This domain of darkness, man, it ain't funny. It's, it's, there's no joke in here. There are times, like, I like to laugh as much as anybody. I preach joy all the time. I preach it today, Romans 14, 17. Like I started getting laugh lines around my eyes at an early age. My youthful glow, my supple skin started getting these things, man, because I love to laugh. But there are times, let me tell you, and I've learned it in my life, and there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. There are times to slap that's 
that laugh off and take it seriously. And some of you are winking at sin and you're getting away with it. You're getting away with it for now. Your sin keeps you from God and your sin keeps you from other people. And so the morning. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life or your amidst that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Another example of what we need to surrender. Another example of thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not mine, but surrender your plans. Somebody needs to hear that today. Surrender your plans. Surrender your people. Surrender your plans to him. As we close, close, let me put up a few passages where Jesus talked about his will ask you if you would stand if you have a cup I hope you got a cup today every follower of Jesus we say this often it's not about church membership or denominational affiliation it's just everybody who calls Jesus Savior everyone who comes today that says uh, I believe in Jesus that he's forgiven me for our sins we're to remember what he has done and so Jesus said this he the, the prayer that we've looked at your will be done on earth as it is in heaven but at one point he said this my food is to do the will of him who sent me. In other words, it's my very sustenance to be obedient to God. And then in great angst in the garden, he said, if you are willing, Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And then he offered this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Today we celebrate that Jesus went all the way in his love for us. And on Memorial Day weekend, when we will take time and make posts and think through our nation and God's blessing on our nation and those who've loved and lived and served, we today, this final Sunday, as is our practice, the final Sunday of every month, we take the cup, the, the wafer on the top, if you peel back, You'll see the wafer on the top. This represents Christ's body broken for you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And this cup, this juice represents his blood shed for us. We do this in remembrance of him. God, would you conform us to you And God, I pray that our prayers would be less sweet and syrupy and they would be more sincere and they would be more bold and they would be be less about us and more about kingdom life and that we would trust you per Matthew 6.33 with all these things that we would be seekers of the kingdom and your righteousness. And when sin blocks us and gets in our way, that we would take it seriously. But we would start with your kindness. For the word declares that it's your kindness that leads to repentance. You have lived for us. You have loved us. You have died for us. And you invite us 
to extend this kingdom to our world. Would you help us do that? Through Serve 52, through the ways that we lock arms and move out of isolation into community. Would you give us the peace and prosperity of our city? We wouldn't run away in fear, but we would go to need and go to people. And we don't act like a savior. We follow a savior. And you have saved us. Lord, make us kingdom bringers. In you we pray. Amen.